Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm being joined today by a, a woman who's actually calling us from Chicago. Her name is Jody Fox, and Jody is the co-founder and chief creative officer at Shoes of Prey. Welcome to the show, Jody. Hi, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm, I'm wondering how cold it is there in Chicago today. Oh, my goodness. You know, I haven't actually checked the weather um, to know exactly how cold it is, but there is a lot of snow on the ground. <laughs> it's always more than we have here in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, listen, Jody, I w- wanted to talk for uh, a few minutes about your life growing up in um, Australia, uh, mm-hmm. and you grew up in a town called Lismore. Am yeah, I- that's right. Yeah, so Lismore is, a, you know, a country town. Um and it's very, it's, well, it's, a, it's close to Byron Bay, which is one of Australia's most beautiful beaches. Uh, so I had a pretty nice, you know, childhood, you know, growing up in an area that naturally is very beautiful. Um, you know, it was about swimming in waterfalls and going to the beach. Uh, my family are, so, you know, my, um, I'm actually the first person in my family to go to university. So my mum and dad grew up around the area. Um, they neither of them were able to go to university um, for financial reasons, uh, and they really prized education as something that was really important. So um, when my sister and I uh, were looking at you know what we should do, uh, they were really supportive of us going and doing that extra study. Um, yeah, so it was a great childhood. Uh, I think that you know there was always a little hint of the entrepreneur around. Um, I was always fiercely independent. I remember at eight years old uh, bailing up my mum and dad and telling them that I was going to move into the cubby house because I was ready to move out of home. (laughs) (laughs) At eight years old, you wanted to go. Ready. And um, yeah, I mean, commerce was definitely one of my favorite subjects, uh, you know, through high school and things like that. I was very, that being said, I was also very orientated towards the arts. I did... um, study ballet for a long, long time and uh, work really hard at that and ultimately, though, decided uh, to study law and international business so that I would understand how the world worked uh, because I knew that there was an opportunity one day to run my own business. So, wow, you know, that's, I, I, I'm that's very a, lucky. Yeah, I know that's pretty amazing to be to be thinking about that at such a young age. Yeah, it was, you know, it was really interesting, and it was kind of this moment of realizing that, um, you know, I was so deeply involved in acting and dancing and, you know, painting and all of these sorts of things, and I took a step back and I realized that when I read the news or I watched the news that I actually didn't fully understand how the world worked, and in the background of all of this, my um, so my family is, uh, my mother's side of the family is from Sicily, and I uh, had learned how to speak Italian, and my I remember my dad saying, you know, 
imagine the world that's in front of you. You know, you could be with even just having a second language and being able to travel the way that you can. It's different. You know, you can be a diplomat. You can be an international businesswoman. And he literally said those things to me. And um, I guess I always had that in my mind, which was one of the things that really spurred me to go and learn about how the world works. Yeah. Tell me, what did your dad do for a living? Uh, so he works in, and he still does actually work in insurance. In fact, uh, this year he will have been with his same company for 50 years. So it's his, um, I think it'll be his year of retirement, but it's quite a milestone. I don't think there are too many people who stay with the company for 50 years. Yeah, that's a long time. Um, it is. <laughs> and, and what were your high school years like there in Australia? What type of high school did you go to? Um, so I went to a private high school, um, mm-hmm. and it was one that, um, yeah, it was it was actually pretty amazing. So this was a high school that prized um, and featured the arts as much as it did the sports. And I think that that's um, particularly for that area. And I guess I, I don't I'm not sure how this sits in the US, but um, you know, I mean, that was quite a and you know an interesting and you know achievement for a high school in Australia. So yeah, I felt I felt lucky because I wasn't. I mean, I, I really loved swimming, but other than that, you know, I wasn't really, really into sports. Um, so, you know, for me, it was great to have the opportunity to be making these decisions to try things that I loved without, and learning about who I was as a person without um, facing any kind of judgment that can sometimes be nurtured (laughs) around, you know, what a school supports or what it is that you're supposed to be doing. So, yeah, I actually loved high school. I had a beautiful set of friends and a lot of them I'm still quite close with. Um, We're scattered all around the world now (laughs) because we, um, I guess we, having grown up in such a very small country town, um, you tend to need to leave to be able to go and pursue bigger things. Yeah, yeah. And and how wonderful, though, that you, you have the ability to stay in touch no matter where anyone is. Yeah, I mean, where I guess that's the, other, that's the other thing, too. And I think growing up in a community that was just a little bit smaller, um, there's this real... Uh, you, you you learn a lot about building really warm relationships and about building relationships that are, you know, quite satisfying because, you know, there's, in terms of things to do, there's not, not that much else around. And when you really focus on that, it's such a rewarding thing. And, I mean, thinking as well, I mean, we didn't, you know, I mean, now, you know, I mean, you could just entertain yourself on the Internet and things like that. For me, we didn't actually even get a computer in my house until I finished year 12. So wow. <laughs> I was moving wow. out. So, yeah, yeah. I didn't have access to that stuff. So you had to actually kind of play like we did back in the old days. <laughs> yeah. Outside. Yes. And I'm, I'm 32, so I'm not that old. But um, I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, I mean, things just didn't move that quickly um, with where I was. But yeah. in lots of ways, I'm, you know, I mean, I have no regrets around that. Yeah. Well, th- no, that's wonderful. It's actually a good thing. And, and probably the uh, the friends that you had back then, because of, um, you know, the kind of town you grew up in, no one will know you like they do. Oh, that's the truth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is always the truth. So um, you went off to, uh, I-, I believe it's called Brisbane for college. Yep, that's right. So yes. the reason I, so I went there and I went to a university called Griffith University. And at the time, they were the only place in Australia that offered um, the dual degrees that I wanted to do, which were law and international business. Mm-hmm. So I 
I studied international business because I wanted to take a business degree that really had that global view right from the outset, whereas the rest of the degrees at all of the universities would teach you business and then a couple of one or two global subjects on top of that. But mm-hmm. for me, it was really important to have that global focus. So, yeah, there was, so I spent five years at university. Um, I was very involved with my law society, which was a lot of fun. Um, and actually, it was because of my involvement with my law society um, that then crosses you over with other universities that I met Mike and Michael, my two co-founders of Shoes of Prey. Right. Yes. Um, now, was your intent at that time to, to become a lawyer um, or to have that, that law background to go into business? Yeah, that's such a good question because I think that what happens is you, you do get really pulled into a certain path. So I've, I've got to admit, I actually hated studying law. Did you? <laughs> I, within, I, I remember for the first year of my law degree, I was in tears every six months. Um, on the phone to my mentor saying I've done the wrong thing I should have I'd been successful in auditioning to dance and um, I've done the wrong thing I should have been a dancer <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah so it was it was it was really tough um, but we actually I'm so sorry I was going to get you to repeat the question again if that's okay oh sure no I I was just wondering if your intent was to to be a lawyer yeah or to just have that degree behind Mm -hmm. you for business sorry it just threw me so far back into that moment of wanting to dance that I (laughs) 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 Um, the, the intent actually was to get the knowledge to be able to do you know whatever it is that I wanted to do in the end I didn't really have a clear picture at that point in time and I think that that's actually a really tough thing that faces a lot of young people today. We're kind of, you know, making these decisions about, you know, what we want to do in an age where we don't have the experience of understanding what those careers are going to be like. Right, exactly. Um, So, you know, that's that's really tough. Um, So, no, my my intent originally wasn't to practice law, but as I got further and further down the path, I guess there are so many things connected to practicing law that are important, like getting your, you know, your... um, in Australia, there's a diploma that you need to get once you complete your study. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's also, you know, your practicing certificate and things like that. And for me, it was important to get those things. Yeah. Um, to be very honest, practicing law was the best part of doing my law degree. <laughs> yeah. Because that's where I really learned about how business gets done, how to draft a contract, mm-hmm. um, and all of those commercial things. So I was being, I was a banking and finance lawyer, mm-hmm. and that's where the really invaluable stuff came. Yeah. No, I would think that that would really kind of boost your confidence as an entrepreneur um, to have that knowledge and, and any type of negotiations that you know you've had to do that you would be understanding a lot of the language. Oh, absolutely, and just understanding the mechanics of the clauses when you're reading through um, any type of agreement is such a good thing. Yes. So you actually, uh, you were with Blake Dawson Law Firm from uh, 2004 to 2007. So you were there for three full years. Um, Mm -hmm. What did you take away from from those years that kind of really has stayed with you um, as the owner of Shoes of Prey? Um, I think, so, yes, yeah, so the, the law firm's now renamed to Ashurst, um, and, oh, gosh, the, but at the time it was Lake Dawson when I was practicing there. Gosh, so many things. I guess, you know, everyone that I worked with, we were doing great work, 
you know, it was work that you would read about in the paper. It was, you know, the, the people that I were working with were incredible practitioners. Um, but they were always, they were always so respectful in all of their dealings and just lovely to work with. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I, I worked on some insolvency cases and that's, you know, that's really tough. There's a lot of emotion in that for the parties. Um, and it's, it's a pretty awful area uh, just in terms of what you're having to deal with. And the, the people that I worked with just showed me, you know, how, how, you know, how to behave so well, you know, when the chips are really down. Oh, that's um, a great lesson. So, yeah. yeah, so that was that was really cool. So that was cool from the more of a, a personal sort of business side of things. Mm-hmm. And then on the other side of things, just looking at work, work ethic, um, working smarter, even just from an administrative point of view of uh, putting together the filing of, you know, documents and bits and pieces so that, you know, it's, it's so easily accessible. Um so yeah, it was, it was really all of those fundamental skills that have come across into uh, my business today. Yeah, that's terrific. Um, so at some point, I'm, I'm assuming you started to kind of miss uh, a creative uh, piece, <laughs> right? To, I mean, clearly, yes. You, yes, you're very creative. And, and as a matter of fact, I want, later in, in our interview, I was going to talk about the award that you won for the, um, for the store design. But oh, yeah. uh, so I'm, what, what precipitated that move then to uh, the Campaign Palace, which was an advertising agency? So you yeah, left? Yeah. Yep. Sure. So, um, gosh, you know, I, I think that I just knew that I was unhappy doing what I was doing, I could feel, and, and I think that, that, I think for me, I've always been someone who, you know, I don't just go with the flow of life, like I'm sort of constantly prodding and checking, you know, am I happy, am I making good conscious decisions, um, and I don't, so, so for me, I was finding that actually I was just not enjoying my everyday at all, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it I mean, and as I said to you, you know, the work was great. The people were amazing. What I was learning was spectacular, but my heart just wasn't in it. Yeah. So when I realized that, um, it was, it was luckily for me, it was pretty early on because I, I've seen, you know, other people kind of go through this process later on in their careers as lawyers. And it gets really difficult because the salary is really good. <laughs> That's right. Yes. You get yeah. used to a certain level of living. Yeah, you do. And yeah. I mean, then you make commitments uh, in your life that require you to continue making that level of salary. So for, for me, I was I was very conscious of the, those golden handcuffs <laughs> <laughs> and thinking about it early on. So I went away and I made a list. And the list for me was not just about what I wanted in my career, but actually a list of things that would make me happy in life. Hmm. And then side by side with that, I interrogated everyone in my life, uh, you know, tell me about your job. Tell me about your industry. Tell me what makes you happy about it. Tell me what happens on a really crappy day. You know, I, I wanted to understand as much as I could about as many different in- industries as I could. Mm-hmm. And um, I found that, you know, the sort of the perfect cross-section for me at that point in time of all the things that I felt like I needed in my life and things like that was going to be advertising. So, you know, it had that cross-section of creativity brand building, still being very commercial, um, and all these kinds of elements. So, um, yeah, so I, interestingly enough, I got given this task that I really just was 
so deflated by. So I shut the door to my office in the law firm and I, um, I, I'd spoken to a few agencies, but there was one agency that I desperately wanted to work for. So I just shut the door to my office and I called, called them. I had an interview the next day and a job offer within the days after that. So, um, you know, it was just that right moment. And interestingly, by that point in time, the type of, the type of banking and finance where I was working in was called securitization. And um, the global financial crisis kind of happened within a very short time of me getting that job offer. So when I submitted my resignation to the law firm, that team was shrinking quickly. So mm, um, That good you know, they, timing then for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, horrible timing for the people who were affected by that. Yes. Um, and still you know, are affected by that. It was just, you know, it was very traumatic but for a lot of people. Um, but in terms of the movements I was making, um, it, it it fitted with kind of that path. So, so yeah, so that's when I moved over to the Campaign Palace. And those must have been great years, you know, working on uh, all the, those creative, you know, projects and branding. Yeah. 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 Which, again, was a great back, you know, a background for you um, to, to start your company. Um, I'd love to I'd love for you to kind of describe the, you know, what we always call an aha moment um, <laughs> about, uh, you know, deciding that you wanted to start your own company. And, and I'm assuming at this time you had still been in touch with um, Michael. Michael, and, Michael. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. So interestingly, so um, you may notice that one of my co-founders and I have the same surname. So there's Mike Knapp and Michael Fox. Yes. So by that stage, Michael Fox and I were actually married. Okay. <laughs> um, but we are we are no longer married. So um, but we're still working together. Our separation and divorce was so so amicable uh, to the point where, um, you know, I remember when we made the decision and. You know, I was getting ready to move out, and I was like, "Hey, listen, I, I don't want anything. You can have whatever you want." And he was like, "No, no, no, I don't want anything. You take whatever you want." <laughs> <laughs> That's was, so refreshing. Um, That's so refreshing yeah. to hear. That's and a tough I, thing. And I think, I mean, part of it is that we didn't have any children, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I mean, the reasons that we separated. You know, we we worked really hard to try and make it work, and I think, um, you know, a period of you know more than a year, and I think that. By the time we'd come to that decision, we'd both made our peace with it. And it wasn't, you know, really a situation where, you know, one could blame the other or anything like that. We both had our reasons that, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't going to work. And we'd explored everything to resolve those reasons. So, yeah, so we still work together today. Yeah. And um, and get along really well, which is great. So, um, so, yes, I was definitely still in touch with Mike and Michael. <laughs> <laughs> um, and... Uh, Mike Knapp was working at Google, and Michael Fox had gone to work at Google at that time as well. And I, I guess there was a, there were a couple of things happening at once that were really important to the starting of Shoe the Prey. So, look, I, I'm Sicilian by background. I have spent time in beautiful, you know, places initially looking at shoes and beautiful things made out of leather. Now, I just never really – I always liked shoes, but I couldn't – find things that I truly loved because, you know, either the heel height wasn't right or I, I didn't love the color of the material or, you know, I, there's a decoration I didn't love on the shoe. So <clears throat> as I was traveling, I found that, you know, I, I found someone I could commission my shoe designs with much in the same way that you can commission somebody to make a suit or, you know, a, a business shirt for you or something like that. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> I had so much fun. 
So I designed these shoes and I would do it on a regular basis. And as my shoe collection became more unique, my girlfriends were asking where these shoes were coming from. And when I explained, they asked me if I would uh, commission their shoe designs as well. So I actually started doing this back when I was still at the law firm. And funnily enough, I remember when I submitted my resignation, I was going around and speaking individually to um, the partners that I was doing what I'd been doing work for over the time that I was there. And one of them said to me, of course you're going to do something creative. That makes sense. Look at the shoes that you wear. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was when I was going to the campaign palace and hadn't even come up with shoes of great. So I still think about that. Um, so, um, you know, I, so yeah, I, I found this capacity to commission shoes and the two boys were at Google and they were both so excited about online retail. So Michael Fox by this stage had gotten quite a, a depth of operational experience in retail and Mike Knapp was a software engineer at Google. Um, so between the three of us, we had a pretty good skill set for what we wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from the fact that no, not one of us knew how to make shoes. Uh, <laughs> we, we know a lot about that now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, between the, between the three of us, like I, I wouldn't have thought to turn into the business had it not been for the boys. But, you know, with us all mutually kind of looking at, the things that we were passionate about, Shoes of Prey came to be. Yeah. Well, that's so wonderful when, you know, a team comes together like that and everybody contributes what's needed, you know, in different areas. Totally. And it's not to say that it's frictionless because, of course, that's a natural part of the process. But mm-hmm. um, I, I truly believe that Shoes of Prey couldn't exist with any one of the three of us missing. Yeah. Well, one of my questions was for you as, you know, the only female. So it's, you know, two, two men and yourself mm-hmm. and you have to be collaborative and I'm sure mm-hmm. your ideas and, you know, certainly you have a little bit more knowledge about what women want, you know, mm-hmm. and how women feel than the two Michaels. Mm-hmm. Um, h- how do you do that? How do you work together and, and keep it, you know, productive and, and not kind of butt heads? So interestingly enough, um, with any kind of, we've actually never made a decision that we're not united on. So, you know, I mean, there might be someone who's less, you know, less of a supporter of the decision, but we always hash everything out together. Um, So, so I actually find that to be a situation where it's, it's a good thing. You know, it's, 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 I don't think a lot of women get that from, you know, the, the men that they're working with. That being said, like, the bias, the gender bias definitely is still around. Um, and it's really interesting. I was speaking with the Sex Discrimination Commissioner of Australia, and she called it gender asbestos <laughs> because it's all around us. You know, it's in, the, it's in the walls. It's, you know, it's everywhere, and it's been there for a long time, and it's so much so that we often have trouble identifying it mm-hmm. and you know ultimately getting rid of it is really difficult um, because it's not something that men do to women you know it's something that exists and women perpetuate as well mm-hmm. I catch myself perpetuating it sometimes too mm-hmm. um, so look there are definitely there are definitely frictions that come up because of gender um, sometimes the frictions run the other way though uh, so for example I know that when I talk about this company where women can design their own shoes, you know, it makes sense because I'm a woman. And sometimes when I see the boys talk about it, I can see the response to them isn't, you know, a naturally comfortable kind of excited response. It's treated, it's almost a suspicious response. Why are you 
as a man talking about this. Right, <laughs> so, yeah. Know, that, that, that gender bias really can run both ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you, you said it right. It's, 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 not, um, it's not always what men do to women. It's, it's kind of women's own self-talk. Right. It's true. Yeah. I think it's it's funny though. I mean, one of the things that I really do believe in is when men um, proactively work on championing that change for women. Mm-hmm. Um, and even though it's not something that men do to women, um, and it's something that's perpetuated by both genders, um, and you know, obviously, you know, there is more than two genders. Um, but just for the sake of the focus of this argument, um, or not argument, but for the focus of this particular issue, um, when they help to champion that change, I think that's an incredible um, proactive statement that helps to surface a lot of the things that we could do better. That's right. That's exactly right. Um, you know, obviously, you know, always when um, team members are collaborating in a really good, positive way, things can, you know, move more quickly so you don't get stuck. And, you know, I read that your company was profitable within two months of launch. That's yes, really exactly. that's really awesome. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's partly to do with the cash flow model. So, um, and also, I mean, we have great sustainability within our company and, that's the funny thing, right? And um, sustainability doesn't have to be just about, you know, things that are costly. It actually is a great business model. So for us, we only produce things that people have said, I want to buy. So, you know, we'll, <clears throat> you tell us what you want to have made for you. You make that payment and then we will make it for you and send it to you. So um, in terms of the cash flow model, it's a very cash flow positive model. Um, but from a sustainability perspective as well, it's, it's great that we're not taking a punt on what we think people might want to buy from us. Um, we're only making what people do or have bought or do want to buy from us. Yeah. Um, and then at the other end of it as well, uh, we actually in Australia work with Good360 and are looking to, you know, put that relationship together here in the U.S. that will make sure that those any any sort of excess shoes that might come from samples um, or, you know, the occasional return will go to someone who will really, you know, get the most out of that pair of shoes. Yeah. Oh, that's terrific. You know, and for the listeners, I didn't really explain in the beginning, you know, what your company is. And, and basically, you know, it's not ne- it's not simply to, to for a customer to say what they're looking for and it's sent to them. They actually get to design it themselves. Your website is so incredibly fun and interactive. Oh, um, and I would imagine there's a lot of, you know, designing going on before someone actually purchases that shoe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we do all of our technology in-house and we actually do all of our manufacturing uh, in-house now as well. We do have some suppliers, approved suppliers that we work with, but we're completely vertically integrated. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, we want, we want women to get exactly, you know, to have exactly what they want when they want it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's not just that you can... Um, you know, Nike ID is quite fun in that you can change the colors and materials on different sections and things like that. But with Shoes of Prey, you design the shoe from scratch. Right. Yeah, it's it's fun. Yeah. Um, I, I read a quote uh, that, that you said you, you need to innovate faster than any of your competition. And, yeah. you know, there's certainly competition out there in the world of shoes and, yeah, of and, yeah. and online everything. These days, everything is moving online. How do you kind of um, keep that innovation going, you know, um, 
what is it yeah. that, that you focus on in, in order to be ahead of that competition? You know, it's so it's so funny. I, I talk a, I talk about innovation a lot, and partly because um, it frustrates me, <laughs> <laughs> because I think that people say, "Oh, we've got to be more innovative," but without understanding what it is that that innovation is actually a byproduct. So the way that we stay innovative is by not thinking about innovation at all. What we think about is our customer and what it is that would be the most ultimate and coolest and best way to solve her problem. So mm. it's noticing the friction points and say and then and fixing them, not just not just to fix them and, you know, treat it as a functional thing, but then to say, gosh, what would be the the way that would help her to have the best access to this? What if you if you could sit down and think about what would be the smoothest process possible disregarding everything, the technology that currently exists, disregarding every single thing, what would that look like? And I personally believe that we're at a point with technology today where you can sit down and have that kind of creativity and imagination and then find a way to get there with the technology that we have because we're just at such a tipping point. So, um, so I mean, I guess the key elements are, you know, asking what that customer question and friction point is mm-hmm. and also being brave enough to be, creative and put down everything that you know and all those parameters that you naturally put in place um, and letting yourself figure out what that most extraordinary thing might be. Yeah, I think that's great advice. So, you know, you don't get caught up in what's the latest and greatest. You're always focusing on your your own customer that you already have and how can you better serve them? Totally. Like, it's, it, I think for me, Knowing about the latest and greatest is fantastic inspiration, but it's not it's not the thing that you should do just because it's the latest and greatest. That's that's right. Um, listen, Jody, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I wanted to, to talk to you a little bit about the fundraising um, that you've done. You've been very successful in your ability to raise capital, um, so I'd love to get some advice from you on that. We'll be right back. Sure. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada, and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevadacouture.com. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch on WWDB Talk 860. I'm having a wonderful conversation today with Jody Fox, and Jody is the co-founder and chief creative officer at Shoes of Prey. Um, Shoes of Prey is an, an online customized shoe uh, business where you can go and really create exactly what you're looking for. And, and Jody, you know, as someone who loves shoes, also, mm-hmm. I, I really can appreciate and understand when you you talked about not being able to find that perfect shoe. It sounds a little crazy because there's thousands and thousands of shoes, but there's always one piece missing, right? There's It's true. Yeah. I, and I think it's so funny. I mean, it's there's also the functional side of it. So, you know, frequently shoes are only made in one style. So one heel height uh, in sizes five to 10. Mm-hmm. And 
there are so many women who either can't wear that heel height or it's not the right size. We go from sizes two and a half to 15. We do half sizes with adjustments, you know, one shoe bigger than the other, mm-hmm. you know, all of the, and we can adjust to 10 different heel heights. So, you know, really the belief at the bottom of all of that is that women shouldn't be choosing between comfort and style. You know, we want you to step out and, you know, be having your life in shoes that you love, you know, wearing because it makes you, it can really help you to feel great about what it is that you're about to do. Yeah, I know. It's absolutely true. You know, when you're your most comfortable, you know, from a fashion standpoint, you that's when you feel the best. Absolutely. Now, your material, and the, of course, the leather, you know, the quality of the of the leather, um, where do you get your materials? Sure. So we source from a number of places. So we source out of Spain, Italy, and China. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, so, and then we pull together kind of the material ranges that we're really excited about. Um, I wanted to talk to you about, I mentioned fundraising at the break, um, mm-hmm. and, and you have been very, very successful in, in raising the capital that you needed. What, what kinds of advice can you give to the listeners um, about that piece of, of starting mm-hmm. uh, a new business? Absolutely. It's very important. Yeah. So we've raised, we've raised just over $10 million to date, and our last round was our Series A that we did with Kosla, um, and that was a $5.5 million round. Mm-hmm. We also had, in that same round, Andy Dunn, the CEO and co-founder of Bonobos, and uh, David and Heidi, uh, Heidi Zach and David Spector. David used to be a um, partner at Sequoia, so, and they've come on board as well. So that's kind of what the last round was about. Um, I guess the advice I would give we started getting approached by potential investors very early on. So we started in October 2009, and at the end of that year, we were, or the beginning of the following year, we were a finalist for the Best Bootstrap Startup for the TechCrunch Awards. And, you know, that, that sort of brought a lot of attention onto our business from um, a capital point of view. And I think that, what we should have done in hindsight was, yes, build those relationships, but held off on a lot of the depth of conversations that we had until until we knew we wanted to raise capital because having conversations with venture capital people, angels, and all of that sort of thing is a huge – it takes a huge amount of time and takes a massive amount of time to do it well. Mm-hmm. And if your focus of your business is not to fundraise, uh, it is not about fundraising at that moment in time, um, then it's, it's not time well spent. So that's, that's the first thing I think about. Um, the second thing is just sitting when you, before you go and do your first presentation, really sitting with people who have, you know, done these pitches before to work through the questions you're going to be asked and the figures that you'll need to be able to demonstrate um, in, you know, graphs. Uh, in your slides and what you're going to need to be able to rattle off the top of your head. Mm-hmm. Um, and also about the way that you put together the story to help them to understand why you're doing what you're doing and why that's, um, you know, going to be extraordinary. Uh, probably the last thing is always raise more than you need. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good tip. Yeah, Better to have too much. I guess there's a couple of parts to that. So, you know, really have thought through your forecasts for, you know, the next, you know, five years. Make sure that you understand, you know, what the fund's runway is um, and the kinds of returns that they are looking for. Make sure you think about the 
you're going to a fund that's got the right expertise for you and invests in companies like yours. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, you know, if you have the opportunity to raise more, then do it because, um, I mean, not that you want to be too extreme with that because the expectations that can come with that um, can be debilitating on companies. But, um, you know, I mean, a little, if it's a little bit more than what you had expected to raise, that's actually probably a good thing. Um, actually, I did say that was the last piece of advice, but another thing is, too, that the critical, critical thing that um, investors are putting their money into is the team. So if you have an idea that has blue sky, then that's that's the first part of it. And the other part of it that's equally as important is to present a team they believe in. Yes, right. You know, you you can see that on Shark Tank. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because the people come in and they present and they have uh they have their story and then they have their numbers and then so very often you know the uh the investors say you know I just don't believe that you're going to you know do the job in the right way and sometimes it comes down to that. Yeah, oh definitely. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, it's it's quite an emotional decision. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, you know, obviously these conversations um, have led to wonderful partnerships for you um, with other mm-hmm. companies. And, and one of them I read is, is with Nordstrom. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I wondered if you could describe what the, what the shop-in-shop experience is going to be like, or is that actually already taken off? Sure. So we started, uh, we opened our first store with uh, Nordstrom in November last year, and that was in at Bellevue in Seattle, just right by their headquarters there. And I've got to say, working with Nordstrom has been amazing. I'm sure. They're, they're a good company. They are. I mean, we share so many values in terms of our passion for shoes and also in the way that we love to work with, you know, each, each other and also the PR of shoe-loving customers. So, you know, they've just been a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, so the experience that happens is you you walk into the space that's set out within the shoe floor for Shoes of Prey, and it's just about everything in the store has been made from things that we use to make shoes. So the table that you'll sit down at that has an iPad or has many iPads on it um, is covered in the padding that we use in our shoes and then the leather over the top. So when you touch that table, you get a sense of what the shoes will be like. All of the ottomans that you sit on around the table are made out of that same leather. Uh And then coming out of the middle of the table are, you know, these sculptures of flowers that are made out of shoes and uh, we originally worked with the Australian ballet set designers to come up with that concept. Uh, There are leather swatches that you can hold together to understand what those textures and colors are going to look like. There's Mm -hmm. sizing shoes for you to try on to make sure you're getting the right size. Uh, There's a whole lot of um, shoes to show you some of the examples of the designs and our shoe stylists as well who will sit down with you if you would like that help and work with you on the iPad to get to a shoe design that you're really going to be excited about. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, the the iPad is really that seamless, uh, you know, bridge between the way that we started as that online, um, you know, experience of Shoes of Prey and then brings that into that environment um, of the offline where we marry up the answer to the question that we were hearing from our, you know, our customers, which was, what will my shoe look like in real life? Yeah. So they needed that, you know, ability to know what it would, the shoe would feel like on and, you know, to see the materials and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then seamlessly brings that, um, 
that you know experience of the designing and the webby website into that environment that you know is you know a very comfortable and natural way for that to happen. So um, yeah, so that's how that's how the in-store experience works. And the, the store itself, we did our very very first uh, concept of this back in Australia in January 2013, and that that store actually did double its forecasted revenue in the first year. And um, the concept of the design itself that uh, we're bringing across into Nordstrom in 2013 won the world's best store design uh, up against Karl Lagerfeld for his concept store in Paris and Puma for their flagship store in Osaka. So we're really excited to be bringing that to Nordstrom uh, and to be sharing it with you know, our U.S. shoe lovers. Yes. And, you know, it's just it's such a fun experience. What a great idea, you know, because one of the um, things, as you said, people say all the time they don't want to buy anything online because they can't see it, touch it, you know, feel it yeah, and get a and, sense of it. Yeah, and those, that, those things will always be important. I think that, you know, while we all love the convenience of shopping online and, you know, there, you know we have a great returns policy, as do many other retailers. Um, you know, nothing will ever replace the ability to have a face-to-face conversation with somebody, mm-hmm. you know, about that product. Nothing will ever replace us still wanting to, you know, understand what that is like in real life. Yeah. Um, what a great idea. I think I'm going to ha- that that uh, shop and shop is in D- Washington, did you say? <laughs> so we're opening six of them. So, yes, there's one in Washington in Bellevue, Seattle. Okay. There is one uh, opening in Chicago, which is why I'm here at the Oakbrook Mall. Okay. Uh, we're also opening in New Jersey at the Paramus Mall, uh, in Washington, D.C. at Pentagon City, mm-hmm. um, in the Orange County at Fashion Island, and in San Francisco downtown. And how about Philadelphia? <laughs> we would love that in Philadelphia. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, look, I, I've actually never been to Philadelphia, and I can't wait to get over there. So. Oh, well, you have, the King well, of well, Prussia Mall is is a sight to see, and they, they have a, a wonderful Nordstrom there. Ah, excellent. Well, I definitely have to give, pay, pay a visit. So, you know, these six stores, we'll roll them out, and we'll do some learning from them. And, you know, I mean, if, if it all points in the direction that we're all excited about, then hopefully we'll, um, we'll make a move there at some point in the future. Yeah. Um, I, I, I know that you have, you know, a lot of goals and dreams to, to grow the company. You're certainly not going mm-hmm. to stop at Shoes um, Online and... Um, I know that you have uh, another partnership with a costume designer uh, for the uh, show Mad yes. Men. Tell me yes, about that. Fine. What what is a one off collection? What does that mean? Uh, so what we what we did was we partnered with Janie Bryant, the costume designer for Mad Men um, and Deadwood, and she created a collection of shoes with us, a capsule collection. So it was her going into our design tool, and you know surfacing, you know, the, and putting to, and designing herself, you know, the, the pairs of shoes that she believed, you know, a woman needed in her wardrobe. And it was such a fun collaboration to do um, with a woman who has such incredible taste. So, um, so yeah, so that's what the capsule collection is like there. We also work with designers for their runway collections mm-hmm. and, you know, create the shoes for those collections. So I'm just kind of knee deep in doing the ones for the Australian Fashion Week. Uh, at the moment, um, which is a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's that's fantastic. You know, I think there is going to be, um, with the ability, you know, a more uh, mass customization, I guess, in many, many areas. So 
um, you guys are kind of ahead of the curve as far as that goes. You've already gone beyond, you know, that single design um, piece to to your company and extended it into so many different areas. And and people want that. Yeah, look, I, I think so. And I think that when I, when I think about it, you know, it's, it's, it's partly a product. So as consumers, I think that our desires have evolved. So when I look at kind of the history of shoes, you know, it started out with, you know, I, I need a new pair of shoes, I'll go to the cobbler and tell him what I want. It'll take weeks, but, you know, I'll get a new pair of shoes. And then we decided that we wanted shoes more quickly. Um, so, you know, the Industrial Revolution occurred and we, you know, all of a sudden we had this choice so that today we can go and pick up shoes off a shelf. And, you know, I need a new pair of shoes, I'll go and pick some up. But the customer kind of need is evolving again into gosh, I wish I could have shoes that fit well and, you know, that were a design that I love, but I can only pick what's on the shelf. So, you know, as that need has evolved with, you know, I guess that, you know, if you keep an eye on that, you solve it in different ways. One of the major things that's a real um, barrier for people to get to this is that we've gotten into the, the habit, this habit and, you know, of mass producing things. So um, that the industry, the production or manufacturing industry is so focused on that that there aren't yet scalable ways for many of these items to mass-produce customized products. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why we vertically integrated and opened our own facilities because there was just no supplier who could scale with us to do this. So um, so we've created that and built that ourselves. My co-founder, Mike Knapp, um, spent, you know, more than a year working on this particular issue. So it's it's a it's quite a big part of what we're doing. Yeah, I, it, it'll be a slow kind of process to kind of sort it all out. Your your desire to, you know, eventually move into handbags and apparel and, and even housewares, is that, you know, um, something you're thinking about now or is that years away? So, I mean, it's, it is something we're thinking about at the moment, but um, I think it's about making sure that we're really nailed this model um, and then expanding that product offering. So the next one will be handbags. We do have prototypes and they're lovely. Oh, terrific. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then and then beyond that, yes, we'll absolutely expand into those other items. Um, Jody, let me ask you a question. You um you know, you're you have a lot going on. You're a busy woman and you're you're traveling and you're designing and you're, you know, making business decisions. What what is one of the things that's a challenge for you um, in this role? You know, we all it, you're you're obviously doing what is a passion for you, but we all have challenges in our work. What's something yeah. that you know is is difficult for you day to day? Do you know um, it's actually something personal, and I don't hear a lot of people admitting this, but I know that everyone there's not one person who wouldn't deal with this, and it's really having that confidence and self-belief that you're going to do it and do it well, mm. you know, and having, just having that, you know, sort of little scratch of awareness sort of sitting at the back all of the time of, you know, can I do this? Um, and, you know, I mean, there's lots of amazing business biographies and autobiographies out there that talk about all of those positive things that happened and the confidence and the decisions that were made along the way and how they were all the right decisions. But, Actually, my favorite business book is The Hard Thing About Hard Things by Ben Horowitz, where he speaks so frankly about those challenges that never, ever go away, those 
sort of personal ones that sit with you, no matter how much evidence there is to the contrary to say that you're doing really well. So um, for me, that's the challenge that sits with me every day. You know, Jody, I'm so glad that you said that. You know, we talk about that a lot on this show. Um, and I'm always trying to to have my guests really kind of open up and um, talk about that because, you know, as humans, we do. We have self-doubt. Um, no matter how many times we've done something well, you still have that apprehension. Uh, am I oh, going to yeah. do it to the best of my ability? And, you know, that's interesting that that someone like you who, you know, has founded this company that's uh, very successful and consistently been growing. You're, you're doing it the right way. Um, but yet you still still question, you know, um, yeah. it's very common. Yeah, I just and I mean, for me, I just I wish someone had told me that it's normal. And for me, the reason I want to talk about it or mention it at the very least is because you know, I mean, anyone else out there who experiences anxiety and that self-doubt and, you know, I mean, anxiety can tip into depression and things like that, you know, mm -hmm. I guess it's the ability to take a step back and realize you're, you're doing something really tough and these feelings are normal. Mm -hmm. And secondly, too, it's actually, it's not who you are. When I get those feelings now, I think of it almost like an illness where I'm like, oh, I'm not feeling great today. <laughs> because <laughs> It's, it's not about my identity, it's, but it's really good to acknowledge that something's happening, notice it, and then find a way to resolve it that's not going to take over your whole day. So, um, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm really passionate about making sure that people know that this is normal. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful that you've shared that. Um, what are, let me ask you this, when you're having one of those days where you're just, you know, not, not motivated and feeling your best, um, is there someone that you go to and talk to about that? Or do you just kind of sit with it yourself and, and kind of self-talk yourself out of it? Uh, it depends on what I need to get done that day. But I'm, I'm really lucky in that I have a truly spectacular um, group of friends and family as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I know that, you know, if I, if I need a little help to nudge myself out of that <laughs> thought, right. Um, you know, that, that, that nudge is just a phone call away. Yeah. Especially. And I true. I true. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, especially those girls, the girlfriends from Lismore that you grew up with. Ah, uh, yeah. They're the best. Oh, oh my goodness. Do you know what? I actually have just such a, a beautiful group of friends and I just, I can't stress frequently. So, I mean, when I, when I moved to Sydney, um, I have no family down there and, I have this group of friends and we, we look after each other. You know, we do Sunday roast. We, um, you know, if one of us is sick, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer that one of us is going to turn up and make sure you're okay and make sure you have everything that you need. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, that's really important. But I've got to say that emotional support is so important as a business person because you're going to have to make really crappy decisions sometimes in your business that you don't want to make, but you know are the best for your business. And, yes, you know, yes. example of one of those is having to let someone go. Yes. And, you know, that's really tough because you know that that's going to be such an awful experience for that person, you know, in terms of their confidence, um, you know, it's, it's like it's not a nice thing to share with other people that you've been let go from the job. Um, financially, it's a challenge for them, all of these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's such a horrible decision to make, but it, it may just be the one you have to make as a business person. That's right. And, you know, having someone that you can leave, finish work for the day and speak to about that and have them say to you something along the lines of, 
you're a really good person, you're good at your business, and this was just a horrible decision that you had to make today. Yeah. So, you know, and I know you're a good person, means the world. Yeah. Or on those days that you do make a bad decision and, and things go wrong because of that. There are the people that will say to you, you're smart, like 99.9% of the time. And <laughs> right. It's just a blip. I can't say how much that emotional support is actually one of the key elements of, um, you know, really having a great journey doing all of this. Yeah. Yeah. We can't be smart every day, right? <laughs> no, no, we really can't. <laughs> how, how big is your, your company, Jody? How many employees do you have? So we have 75 at the moment, but we're recruiting actually at the moment. So um, we are working on setting up an office in LA and we're recruiting for a number of roles there mm-hmm. um, in graphic design and a few other you know great roles for particularly in the marketing area. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's happening. And we're also recruiting for each of the stores that we're opening at the moment as well. And the, we opened a second facility for production of our shoes as well. And so um, it's about five times the size of the first one and does 10 to 12 times the output. And there's recruiting happening for that as well. So, yeah, so the, the company numbers are about to grow significantly. Yeah, that's such a big piece of it, you know, managing people, right? You know, when you yeah. started out with you and, and Michael and Michael and, you know, the three of you with your heads together, and then when things grow, it, it adds for more complexity. Oh, it really does. And I've got to say, like, I mean, I'm it's managing people is definitely not a strength of mine. Um, and, you know, it's it's. It's really, it is so tough, um, but we're sort of developing that expertise in our company at the moment, which is great. Yeah. And, and and are you referring to, you know, expectations that you have to have for your employees? Um, it's expectations. It's holding them accountable. It's making sure that we're all, you know, really focused in the right direction. Yeah. Um, making sure that, you know, things that, you know, as we discussed, that we we frame things correctly with our employees so we don't mismanage their expectations as well. So um, one, of the, one of the things that we have in our values, our culture code at Shoes of Prey, um, that you can actually look up on SlideShare, is that we believe that not in work-life balance, but that your work should be life-enhancing. Mm. Oh, and I, that's I love that. about the fact that you spend so long at work. Mm-hmm. And it's such a big part of your identity. It should be something that you love. So, um, you know, that really kind of informs uh, our, the way that we manage and what we strive to do in the company. Yeah. Now that's a great, uh, that's a great one liner because in, we talk about, you know, balance all the time. I don't really think, uh, there really is balance, right? You just have to kind of, yeah. It's an ecosystem and it's not, it's not a, a way to pigeonhole. Um, and it might feel, you might feel more comfortable pigeonholing things because I think as as humans, it's what we like to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but, but ultimately, the quicker you accept that it's an ecosystem and things just, you know, you, you don't have that level of control over things, um, you know, but you can make it all work together, um, the faster we actually get to a real solution, which is really exciting. And I think this is why people call their companies their babies, because I hear it's the same for women who have had children. <laughs> <laughs> I can attest to that. Yes, I can totally attest to that. It's very true. Um, Tell me how you're adjusting to New York City, which is a completely different place from where you came. Oh, my goodness. I know. So, look, I'll I'll be honest. I haven't actually had the opportunity to put my feet on the ground there properly. 
So I'm I'm traveling until May. <laughs> oh my gosh! Wow, just yeah, one place after. Tougher. Yeah, are you traveling by yourself, or do you have your partners with you? Uh, so I have I have actually a little team with me of three people. So um, I have uh, Todd Osborne, Brendan Hall, and Lydia Milligan with me, mm-hmm. and where um, we each have different roles in working on um, preparing to open these stores and then opening the stores. And when we go to actually open the stores, then we'll have a bigger team come and join us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not really, I'm not anywhere for more than two weeks until the beginning of May. And all of that time, there's a little bit of time, you know, around the world, but the majority of it is here in the U S so I'm, I'm loving the U S and, you know, really kind of enjoying, you know, sinking my teeth into that and, you know, learning to do things like, um, say, mobile or cell instead of mobile phone. Um, (laughs) I love your accent, by the way. It's beautiful. And I love that you said cobbler. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Yes, yes. Definitely what it is. So, yeah. So, you know, I'm I'm settling in well. Um, I'm loving being in the U.S. The thing that I really am so really enjoy about here is that there's such an incredible optimism and openness to, you know, connecting people and an interest in each other's success that is really special yeah oh that's so great to hear such a a beautiful part of the you know u.s kind of culture and nature so um yeah i'm really enjoying that and i hope my feet on the ground in new york in may early may so um yeah i'm looking forward to that i I hear that getting an apartment is a bit tricky and i've been researching that it can be it can be (laughs) well we yeah, we so. hope you bring your feet to Philadelphia. I would love to oh, to, to look, see you. Sir, look, I'll tell you what. Let's just let's make it a date. We okay. Can take a time after May, and I'll come down. And okay. You can help me see what Philadelphia is all about. I, I need will. to learn as much as I can. Okay, that's terrific, um, Jody. That's it for uh, for the show. And if you just want to give your contact information real quick for someone who might want to reach out to you. Yes, absolutely. So please, please do reach out. So, uh, look, I'm, I'm going to give the general email address to Shoes of Prey, but please know that if you contact through this email address, I definitely get your email. Okay, so good. So, it, it's hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, at Shoes of Prey, that's Shoes of P-R-E-Y dot com. Mm-hmm. You can also catch me on Instagram, which is, and my personal handle for that is Jodie, J-O-D-I-E, and A-N-N-E-F-O-X, so just Jodie Ann Fox, one word. And my personal handle on Twitter is just Jodie Fox, so J-O-D-I-E-F-O-X. So you can catch me on any of those. Um, I'm pretty responsive. Um, and, you know, I mean, I've people have been so generous with, you know, giving me time uh, mm-hmm. that, you know, if I can offer that to anyone in any way, um, I'd be happy to do it. That's great, Jody. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your taking an hour out of your busy day to uh, share your story with Women to Watch. Thank you so Not much. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Again, if you'd like to get in touch with me, uh, please reach out to our website at womentowatch.net. Have a great week, everyone.